This talk continues Reverend Wendy's series, How to Make a Truly Fresh Start. This week, Reverend Wendy talks about outfitting your spiritual toolkit and offers six things that she feels are essential to have in your life for spiritual growth. Well, it is week number three, Sunday number three in 2018, and I am still sharing with you and talking to you about the enthusiasm of beginning anew and making a really fresh start for the new year. And so I am wanting to talk to you this morning about outfitting your spiritual toolkit. Outfitting your spiritual toolkit. I was thinking about this as I was Um, doing some projects in my house, I was realizing, you know, I've got quite a few different kinds of kits in my house. I have a sewing kit. Some of you might have a sewing kit, something that that contains, oh, needle and thread, and maybe if you've gotten a little older, you need the magnifying glass now to thread the needle. I know I do. I used to be able to do it, you know, just like that, and now it's like, oh my gosh, you know, and a pin cushion and safety pins and measuring tape and so forth, and maybe basic colors of thread. So you can just grab that when you've got a little mending project to do. I bet some of you have a first aid kit in your house, right? Yeah, and you've got some basic things in there, don't you? You have probably some aspirin, maybe some neosporin, more than likely some band-aids, maybe an ACE band-aid, and some wraps and so forth. Certainly not everything that you would find in the medical section of a drugstore, but you got the basics in there, right? And I imagine most of us have at least a little handyman toolkit, right? You know, a, a screwdriver and a hammer and some pliers and all of those kinds of things. And certainly we don't have everything in that kit that you would find walking down those endless aisles in Home Depot. <laughs> Whenever my husband is not home and is not at the church, we know he is in Home Depot. I think they're going to start charging that man rent there. But anyway, I was thinking, okay, so we have these kinds of kits for convenience, right? So we can go to and grab them and and get what we need rather, rather quickly. Well, I think that there's value in looking at our spiritual toolkit. What is a spiritual toolkit? What would we put in there? And it's probably not going to be necessarily physical things, but what would be our go-to things spiritually? What's essential to have in one's life spiritual toolkit? And so I want you to think about what you would put in yours as I prepare to share with you six of the things that are in my spiritual toolkit. And I got to thinking about this too. I thought, gee, I wonder how Jesus or Buddha would answer the question, what would you put in your spiritual toolkit? I'm sure that some of the six that I'm going to share with you, they would have in theirs as well. So the first one is some sort of spiritual study partner. Now, obviously, you're not going to put a person in a kit. But do you have in your life a spiritual study partner? This would be somebody that maybe when you're reading a brand new book or taking up a new course or new spiritual practice, that you would feel completely comfortable talking to about spiritual questions. 
Somebody who's not gonna run for the door if you start talking about synchronicities, or if you start talking about non-duality, or you start talking about intuition, and you start talking about things that cannot necessarily be measured, and you start asking questions, they're not gonna have their eyes glass over or run for the door. They're the people that you can use the God word with, and they don't automatically think that you're one of those scary religious people, right? I shared a quote this morning that I really liked. I find spiritual people inspiring and religious people frightening. <laughs> How many of you would agree to that? Yeah, yeah. So anyway, these would be people that you could talk about God or whatever name you use for God, people that you could ask questions to, not necessarily somebody that you're always going to be with on a regular basis, but yet it is someone that you can turn to to say, you know, I'm, I'm really trying to work this concept spiritually in my life. Have you ever tried this? Or do you understand this? Or can you share your perspective with me? And to have a spiritual study buddy also implies that you're doing some spiritual studying or some spiritual work. You know, what, what are you reading right now spiritually that's nurturing you, that's maybe even challenging you to, to stretch and grow? I've been a student off and on over the years, almost since ministerial school, of A Course in Miracles. And every few years, I decide to go back and begin again. And I did on January 1st. And if you are following the text of A Course in Miracles, you would know that the practice for today is I am determined to see things differently, differently. And in the study of A Course in Miracles, things get more deep and potentially complex as the year unfolds, and to be able to turn to somebody and say, you know, I, I don't quite understand this concept. So a spiritual study buddy is of significant value in your spiritual toolkit, and having something that you're actually studying. You know, Jesus referred to what we call the Old Testament, that was his body of spiritual literature that we know for sure. He may have studied other things, but we know being a good Jew, which is what he was, though he challenged the Judaism of his day, he was very familiar with the Torah, very familiar with what we call the Old Testament. And frequently he would quote from the Psalms. So I've got to believe that in his growth and development spiritually, he was continuing to challenge himself as well. So spiritual study buddy and something to study. A second essential in our spiritual toolkit, I would say has got to be, absolutely positively has got to be some sort of regular quiet reflection time. Some sort of regular quiet reflection time. Now notice I didn't limit it. There are quite a number of things that might fall under that category of regular, quiet reflection time. <clears throat> Excuse me. Meditation absolutely fits that perfectly, right? And yet, there are those of us that still struggle with meditation, that still say, I can't find the time for it, or it just isn't, my mind just never seems to get quiet. Well, it takes time for most of us to, to quiet the mind. But if meditation isn't something you're doing regularly, what is or what can you do on a consistent basis that builds into it or feels like a time of solitude, a time of reflection, a time of quiet? 
Jesus very frequently pulled himself away from, set himself apart from the people that he was associating with and from the demands of his life to go into prayer, to go into solitude. He said, when you pray, pray to your father who sees in secret. Pray, go in and shut the door. He's not talking about going into a room and shutting the door. He's talking about shutting out temporarily everything external and turning within in time of solitude, in time of reflection. It might begin for you and it might stay with the daily reading of the daily word and just reflecting on that, just taking that in and thinking about it quietly for a few minutes in the morning. It might be reading the little daily messages that I send out that are even shorter than daily word, called just for today, and reflecting on that and taking that as a practice. It might be, as I said a moment ago, picking up a course in miracles or a body of work like that and taking that in for just a few minutes as you start your day in quiet and reflection. A third essential ingredient, I think, in your spiritual toolkit, I know these are in my spiritual toolkit, is a gratitude practice. An absolute practice of gratitude. Every single one of us in this room, I am confident, was taught by someone, whether it was a parent, an aunt, an uncle, some adult, that it is part of good manners and civility and courtesy to say please and thank you. And we were taught to say thank you after somebody did something kind or nice or helpful for us, right? Don't stop that, that's a good practice. The spiritual practice of gratitude includes that but goes beyond. The spiritual practice of gratitude is not just something we do, it's a way that we be. In the spiritual practice of gratitude, we, are gra we are practice gratitude not just for something, but in advance of something. We generate volitionally a free will, this heart of gratefulness. Do you know there are studies that are showing, psychological studies that are showing a real strong link between the practice of gratitude and patience. Think about that for a moment. I know some of you in this room have, have nodded in agreement with me when I've shared with you, yeah, patience is something that I, I really struggle with sometimes, not in all places or all times, but sometimes. And it'd be interesting for us to look, can we pull out gratitude from our spiritual toolkit when we notice that we're feeling impatient and instead shift to, wait a minute, can I feel grateful? right now? How do I generate that feeling? Many ways to build a gratitude practice in our life, and they may change for us over time. There may be periods in your life where the way that you really practice gratitude on a consistent basis is the old-fashioned take out pen and paper, a gratitude journal, and you write it down. And maybe you do it at the beginning of the day or the end of the day. Maybe you hold yourself up to the idea that Every time you write in there, you're not allowed to repeat yourself. Boy, does that become a real deep practice, right? So maybe it's a gratitude journal. Maybe it's a commitment to be grateful, genuinely grateful, and pause before putting anything in your mouth, before eating any snack or meal, to just pause for a moment in complete 
appreciation and gratitude. You ever stop and think all the people, all the journey that whatever you're about to drink or eat, everything that went into that just being there for you? It's humbling if we really stop and think about that for a moment and feel that for a moment. So maybe it's mindful grace. Maybe it's reflecting at the end of the day, calling to mind as you fall asleep the things that you appreciate. There's a practice that I've added to my gratitude practice, and it is something I learned from the Vietnamese Buddhist um, teacher monk, uh, Thich Nhat Hanh. Very simple, but I love it. And it is the practice associated with inhalation and exhalation. And it is a practice that when you inhale, you imagine that you are inhaling blessings. And when you exhale, you imagine that you are exhaling gratitude. Isn't that beautiful? Do that. Let's do that right now. Just breathe in. Breathe in the awareness of blessings. And breathe out just gratitude. Can you imagine if any time you felt really challenged or rushed or frustrated in the normal, in your normal life, that there was some trigger that reminded you, wait a minute, just take a breath, breathe in the blessings that are right here, right now, and breathe out gratitude. Breathe in the blessings, breathe in the miracles, breathe out gratitude. Buddhism certainly emphasizes I'm skipping myself. I'm going to the fourth one. I want to jump into the point of um, the point of service. Excuse me. So we have gratitude. Gratitude is one of the essential practices. A fourth essential practice in your spiritual toolkit has got to be the practice of service. And this is the idea of living your life with the willingness to do something for others that can never pay you back. And so what this means is going that second mile. Jesus talked about not just doing what is expected of you, but doing more than what is expected of you. It's very easy for for most of us to look at the people that we love and cherish and want to be in service to them and helpful to them and compassionate and empathetic toward them. The real stretch and growth for us spiritually is when we willingly stretch beyond our family and stretch beyond our friends and begin to open our heart a little bit wider to how can we be of loving service to others, to non-family members, to not just our tribe. And the moment we make a commitment to doing that, we will find that the universe just seems to bring us the opportunities right there, right there. Last week, in honor of uh, Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, I spoke a little bit about the idea of the beloved community. And as John and I uh, finished church last Sunday, we um, headed up towards the Sierra Mountains to spend a few days up there. And on our way up, about two hours into an eight-hour drive, we stopped to get some gas. And I was reflecting upon it being the day before MLK uh, Day and reflecting upon the teachings of Martin Luther King Jr. and the idea of the beloved community. And no sooner did I get out of the the truck that a young um, African-American boy came up to me and said, do you have any money? We're completely out of gas. And I looked at him and I said, what do you mean you're out of of gas? Tell me more. And he started to tell me the story of what was going on for him. And I said, well, let me meet your aunt that he was telling me about. 
and I went to their car and met the aunt and all the people that were in the car and heard the story of what was going on for them and they were as polite and kind as can be and, and I, I put myself in their shoes for a moment and thought, what would it feel like to me to be all of maybe 12 or 13 years old and feeling like my mom or my aunt said, please go ask this lady for some, for some gas money. Can you imagine how difficult that would be? And all I kept thinking of was, oh my gosh, here I'm talking about just hours before Martin Luther King Jr. and beloved community, and here I have a chance to do something that's never happened to me before in that way, to fill up their gas tank and to have this delightful conversation with them. They were trying to make their way from, from outpost station off of 395 home to, to Arizona. And I said, how are you gonna get the rest of the way? This tank of gas isn't gonna take you all the way there. They said, we, we trust that somebody else will be there to help us as well. The idea of, of recognizing when the universe just puts someone or something in your path where you know that you can be of service and help. We're not gonna change the world if we only love and care for our own family and friends. We're gonna change the world and we're gonna change ourselves when we love and care for the least among us. I'm not saying they were the least among us, I'm referring to Jesus' teaching. When I was hungry and you fed me, when I was naked and you clothed me, when I was alone and you came to me, when you did it to the least of these, you did it for me. You did it for me. The idea of service is a key part in the practice of Buddhism just as it is a key part in the practice of Christianity. One of the most beautiful examples, I think, of the idea of true service was when Jesus washed his disciples' feet. Have you ever thought about that little moment in time? It's not like you or I washing each other's feet. That's a little humbling, yes, but we're pretty clean. We're not walking around in, with open sandals and maybe not washing with great frequency. Jesus washing his disciples' feet was not about washing his disciples' feet, was it? What was it about? Get that for me, please. No, it, it was about an example of selfless service. It was about an example of equality. It was about him putting himself in the same place and on the same plane with those that he was teaching and ministering to. And so I think part of our spiritual toolkit has always got to include a mind and a heart that is open to what is the universe bringing right to me in my life where I could make a tiny bit of a difference. Doesn't have to be big, but if it's coming across your path, it's probably yours to do. The fifth essential in our spiritual toolkit is some sort of mantra or affirmation or short go-to phrase. A mantra, an affirmation, or a short go-to phrase. Something that's so simple and so deeply committed to memory and something that you use so frequently that when you notice yourself feeling anxious or afraid or angry or impatient or upset, it's your go-to thing to remind yourself to shift out of that energy. And so it could be something as simple as a much-loved affirmation, let go and let God. Say that with me. Let go and let God. That's a really useful one. 
Because usually when we feel like we need to do some inner work, it's because something around us doesn't feel too good. Something around us is falling apart or is challenging or upsetting. And we need to let go of the angst, let go of the negativity, let go of the fear. And in letting go, create some space for spirit or God or whatever you want to call that to move through us and move us to a different place. It may be the phrase, this too shall pass. Say that with me. This too shall pass. I remember that was my mantra on the delivery table with both of my children. This too, I'm not kidding. This too shall pass. And by golly, it certainly does. Everything does. It may be just the word breathe. Boy, is that simple word, just a powerful one. Breathe, breathe, Wendy, breathe, just breathe. And the sixth is sixth essential ingredient in our spiritual toolkit is something physical, small, that you can hold on to and have with you. Something physical, small, that you can hold on to and have with you that reminds you <clears throat> of your spiritual center. For me, it's my malas. My malas remind me or take me immediately to the place of remembering perspective. That whatever it is that seems big to me right now or whatever has got me feeling upset or angry or afraid, perspective. And the minute I can remember perspective, everything begins to open up a bit and shift. And I don't stay in that dark slice of unhealthy negative feeling or emotion. For some of you, I was so touched. I got a couple of emails a few weeks ago. Emery, you were one of them, and a few other people sent me pictures of the white stones that you have collected from your years of doing the burning bowl service in this church, and that you have them like on your altar or your prayer table. Some of you are smiling. I think, Sandy, you sent that to me as well or told me about it, but several of you said that you keep them. Part of the reason that we do those white stones is to have something simple and physical to hold on to to help us remember in those times and places that we forget. I think of the beautiful tradition in AA where there are coins that are given at certain important um, time periods of sobriety. And I, I think of those, if somebody's going through recovery, what a powerful reminder to hold on to when you feel like you're beginning to forget. And in a way, this is not at all a new idea. This is a really old religious or, well, yeah, I guess it is religious idea. I got an article this past week um, which linked with this point I'm making here. I learned something that I didn't know about the Jewish faith, that in Judaism, there is a little, often it's a decorative item that's placed on the doorpost of a Jewish household. It's called a mezuzah. I think I said it right this time, if I didn't forgive me. A mezuzah. And it is a decorative item that has a piece of parchment paper scrolled, a piece, piece of parchment paper with important um, scriptural messages on it placed inside this um, a little decorative item put on the doorpost. And sometimes from the the source that I got, it said that sometimes the scripture verses may vary a little bit. The source I got talked about the scripture verse that says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And that these important to the Jewish faith 
ideas are written on parchment and put in this mezuzah. And they are on the doorpost, the very word means doorpost, with the intention that every time a person enters their home, they touch the mezuzah, and every time they leave, they touch it. And with the intention of remembering. Because in a way, that's really what we're talking about with everything in this toolkit. It's remembering. It's remembering the spiritual anchors, the spiritual choices that when practiced with consistency, totally change our life. I know you know these things, I do too. It's a matter, as we've said before, of closing the gap between what we know and what we consistently do. You don't have to commit yourself to meditating for hours on end every day. But if you commit yourself to daily small practices done consistently, you will find that your life is going to change and it's absolutely going to change for the better. Namaste. Thanks for listening. The Unity Center, transforming lives and healing our world. Check us out Sundays at 9 and 11. Subscribe to our podcasts and download our free app for instant access to a wealth of spiritual teachings, services, and events.